Today we begin a new adventure. We are uh, going to go through the Gospel of Mark. Uh, we'll spend a little time, obviously, today kind of talking about what the who this guy was. Uh, we spent the 23 weeks in uh, a Heaven series that I think was, I learned a lot getting it ready, so hopefully you guys did too. And it's not obviously just about learning a lot, that's important. Um, the data is good, but you know, how does it change our hearts? How does it change our focus? When you go through uh, a gospel or any book in the Bible, you know, just go verse by verse, you pick through. Um, I know it's going to sound a little odd that um, I think we're right around 40 weeks to get through this. Uh, seems like so long, but it, I think it seems like it'll go really fast because we can't hit every verse. You could probably almost do a, a sermon on every verse. But uh, Mark is one of those, it's uh, the shortest of the Gospels. Uh, but why read and study it? Well, that's kind of easy, right? It's a Gospel. Um, you get, uh, I don't have it up there, but you kind of, there's a little G Gospel and a big G Gospel. Uh, the little G is the Gospel, you know, that God came to a lost world in the person of Jesus and directed them to repent because of their lostness and offering the grace and salvation through the cross and, th and we live a life of obedience. That's, that's the gospel. That's good news. Uh, the big G is these, one of these four books, if you see that. That's the way we usually use it. Uh, and there are, I don't know if you ever thought about that, and I don't know if I'll be able to answer that question, but why are there four? You know, it seems like it's always 3, 7, 12, and 40 in the Bible, but there's four here, and, and there's different reasons why, but um, I think it's one of those things we can always say God saw to it that w we got what we need, uh, so um, do you need to know why there were four to be saved? No, that's just my problem, right? Yeah, it's, and, and, but there's, we, we kind of have an idea, you know, Matthew is very Jewish, and it's, it, a lot of, as it is written, it looks like this was a it was a Jewish audience. Um, Luke looks more Gentile, although we can read both. I'm not Jewish. Is anybody here Jewish by lineage? So I always wait for that person and I talk to him, go to lunch. But uh, and we won't eat any bacon. No, if you're Jewish Christian, you can eat all the bacon you want. But uh, but I think so. Even though Luke's Gentile, there's a lot of Jewish. Even though. Matthew's more to a Jewish audience. There's a lot we can learn from it, obviously. John's more to the church. It's probably a little later, uh, more universal. Mark, we kind of see as kind of a Latin view, uh, quick. Everything immediately is in there all the time. Things He moves from one place to the other, just boom, boom, boom. I mean, you almost get a nosebleed following this gospel. So. Not when I'm preaching it, but if you just read it. Yeah. So if you look at the very first verse, you know, um, we believe that Mark was probably the first one written. We have some evidence for that, but I don't think that makes that much difference. Uh, yeah, it, but what's the purpose? Well, the very first verse, the beginning of the gospel, small g, of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Uh, this is what he's trying to do. Uh, and again, gospel means good news. Uh, the Greek word is a cool word, euangelion. You know what word we get from that? Evangelism. You know, that's, that's where we get that. What, what is evangelism but telling the good news of Jesus? And it's not just like, you know, you know, you know saving 15% if you switch to Geico type of good news. 
I mean, that's, that's probably good news, but we're talking about epic-making good news. This word was used for, one of the examples I read, this was used for when an emperor's had a child. And it was, this is, this is a big, you know, because he got an heir to the throne. Or, so that's a history-changing event. So when we read this, you know, the, the, the beginning of the history-changing event of Jesus Christ, that's what people would hear. You know, it's not just, oh, here's some news. Hope, hope you like the news, you know. We'll have more news, you know, at 11, you know, or whatever. I think that's what we, you know, he's announcing that the world will never be the same. Something has changed. And it's all centered on Jesus, and he uses these terms, Christ and Son of God. We're not even into one verse, and we're already starting to talk about who this guy is. You know, he wants to kind of set this up. And remember, Christ is that word, Christos is the word, the Greek word for anointed one. Yeah, and the anointing idea comes back all the way back to the kings and the, in, in the Old Testament. In, in, the, in the Old Testament, the word, the Greek, or the, excuse me, the Hebrew word is Messiahka or Messiah. So sometimes you'll see, I do have a, a version that's uh, it's kind of the uh, Jewish New Testament that calls it, which is kind of cool because a lot of it, it, it has that. It says, you know, Jesus, Messiah, because that's probably the way it was used there. And then son of God, you know, a deity claim right in the first verse. Now it's all written down for you, which is, is really, really cool that he did this. Now, you think about it, we're going to look at this guy. Um, who was John Mark? His, this is Mark, but he, it's John Mark. And we, we see him a few other times in the Bible. And look at that. Um, he accompanied Paul and Barnabas on their first missionary journey. Um, Paul had three missionary journeys, um, but between the first and the second, there became a disagreement, and the disagreement was because of John Mark. And you see this in, in, in Acts 15. Uh, their disagreement was so sharp. And what was the disagreement? You go a few verses up, you can read it on your own, but the, but the idea was John Mark had accompanied them part of the first journey, and then he left. And in the text, it just said he left. But apparently, Paul thought he left and he shouldn't have left. And Barnabas, who we find out later is, his, is Bar or, or John Mark's cousin, wanted him to come with him again. And, and Paul said, no, I, I, don't, I don't think he's ready. And so there was a disagreement. And I, I think it's interesting to see how these guys dealt with disagreement. Now, it's great in Grace Church, we never have any of those. You know, <laughs> you either... Everybody knows you have a disagreement or you're lying in a church. There's your two choices. Uh, we're going to have conflict. It's how do we handle it. And, and, and this is one way to handle it. What do they do? Well, there's a disagreement was so sharp, and they separated, and Barnabas took John Mark with him and sailed for Cyprus. Paul chose Silas, and as he left, the believers entrusted him to the Lord's gracious care. So we don't really know how they did it other than one went one, one, one with the other. Uh, is that the best way to do it? It worked. Now, we don't have, the rest of Acts doesn't tell us what John, Mark, and, uh, and Barnabas, if they went different direct. We don't know, but we do know the other two. But we're thinking we got another one out there, too. So within a disagreement, what did they do? Now, we got two teams. You know, sometimes that can work. You know, we don't know. But we do see something later. Uh, this is in Paul's letter to the church in Colossae. He says, 
Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you, and Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, so you don't know which Mark this is, the one that I was a little bit upset with, concerning him you have received instructions. If he comes to you, welcome him. You know, traditionally, we believe that whatever the problem was, there was it was reconciled. And so, Mark comes to us, and think about it, you think well, there's four Gospels. How many are written by apostles? Uh, this thing on? Uh, he said, oh, that's supposed to be rhetorical. How many were written by apostles? How many of the Gospels were written by apostles? Still waiting for the answer. Two. Which is also known as half. Uh, Matthew, was he an apostle? Yep. Mark? No. No. Uh, Dude couldn't even stay on the travel itinerary. No, I, but he, was, he wasn't one of the people, we'll look a little bit more who, who he actually was, but Luke. In fact, he, as far as we know, he's the only Gentile author, and he has the two books, Luke-Acts, which is a, uh, a double feature. You can read those together. Uh, John was, so, you know. But what, so why would we put them in there? Well, the, the idea of the canon of Scripture is that it's got divine attributes that we can tell, that there's a corporate reception that we see, and, 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 and there's an apostolic authority. Well, what about John Mark? Well, he became a close companion and associate of Peter. You see this in the first period. Your, your sister church here in Babylon, which probably means Rome, um, when you're writing in the Roman Empire at the time First Peter was written, you, you, know, you know, they're going through and they see Rome in there, he might just get in trouble. Now, Peter gets in trouble anyway, but he did do it a little. You see this, we have a, a couple, maybe you get them, we have a couple missionaries that send out uh, email, and they'll, it'll be like uh, J, and then a little, like a little greater sign, S-U-S. Well, we know that's Jesus, but why do they do that? So when they, when people who when the people who don't want Christianity in their country scan the emails, they're looking for J-E-S-U-S. And they don't put that. Same thing here. Probably Babylon means that. The, the first Peter was written to a, a bunch of the churches in what's Cappadocia and Turkey now. And he said, our, you know, our sister church here in Babylon sends you greetings, as does my son, Mark. Now, we know he wasn't Peter's son any more than Timothy was Paul's son, but he's called it. What does that mean? Well, we just kind of talked about with the community. He's part of the family. There's a close connection here. Peter was a mentor. Because you ever thought, you know, if you think of all the people that would write a gospel, you would think it would be Peter. Well, this was written from Peter's perspective. Maybe John Mark was really good at grammar or something. I don't know. It's most likely written in the mid-50s. It's pretty early. And we've got good reasons to think that. Some people think it was as early as the late 40s. Uh, there's some scholarship, and I just want to hit that in a sermon because it's always fun to smack heresy when you can. But I don't know if it's heresy, but there's a lot of people that think all the Gospels were written in the 80s and the 90s. And you don't want to know why? Because Jesus, in three of the Gospels, including Mark, and we'll get to it, predicts that the temple's going to be destroyed. He makes a prediction of that. And it happened in 70 A.D., where Rome comes in and completely destroys Jerusalem. And the assumption is, well, God couldn't have told them that. So it had to be written after because it just doesn't make any sense. It's like, could God 
know that the future was going to be good. Jesus actually, he got that right. And because that prediction's in there, they push it past 70 because it was so correct. It's like, that's a silly reason. That's a presupposition that, that God can't reveal himself in other ways. So, and John Mark shows up probably in his own book. Do you, do you remember what John the Apostle usually refers himself as in the gospel? The one that Jesus loved. And when we go through John, which will probably take like a hundred sermons, and I don't know when we're doing it, but soon. Um, soon's kind of a malleable word, I realize that. Why does he say that? Well, you think about it. We just tell, you know, greater love has one that gives up his life for his friend. That's in John. It's the idea that he even loved me. It's not a cocky thing. It's like, you know, I'm the one that Jesus loved. I don't know about you. I don't think that's what he's saying. He's like, I'm the one that Jesus loved. But they don't, back then you didn't use your name much. It was seen as uh, dishonorable. So John Mark here, one young man follows behind. This is at when he's getting arrested in Gethsemane. And he was clothed only in a long linen shirt, so kind of his night clothes are on. So he wasn't really invited to the party, but was kind of following. When the mob tried to grab him, Mark, oh, that's not, that shouldn't be there. <laughs> he slipped out of his shirt and ran away naked. Now, naked probably means still has his undergarments on, but you can do whatever. Maybe he was naked. It's like, you know. But, but the idea, this they think is John Mark. He's kind of putting himself in there. And, 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 and if you read the gospel, we're going to find out Peter doesn't come out very good in this gospel. He looks like he's impetuous. He like, and, and the thing about Peter writing this, he, he's telling it. It's not a biography, and it's not pure history. It's, it's a quick movement from scene to scene. And there's one other thing, and I, I didn't put that up there, but in Acts 12, you remember when Peter was in jail? And the people are praying for Peter to get out of jail, which is a good thing to pray. There's people in countries now that we pray for to get out that are in their in jails in their countries because of their faith. Peter prays, and then eventually, if you remember, an angel comes and opens the door, and he leaves, and he takes him out, and all the guards are they don't see it. I don't know how it works, but he goes to a house. And there's kind of that interesting story where the girl comes and, you know, says, eek, and then shuts it. And it was kind of, I always, it's so ironic. It's like she comes up to tell them, and it's almost like they're saying, well, yeah, don't bother me with the fact that Peter's here. We're trying to break Peter out of prison. It just kind of seems like an awkward way. But again, what house? That's John Mark's house. Some people think, and when I was in Jerusalem, they told us this, and again, it's traditional, that the Lord's Supper the upper room was in John Mark's house, his, his, his folks. I, I, I think there's pretty good you know, evidence of that. So this guy was ingrained into the apostles, and so that's why this is a very, very gospel that never was refuted of being authentic. So he comes in with two main purposes. Who is Jesus is the number one thing he does. We call this Christology, ology about Christ, you know, study of Jesus. It's the, it, he steps us through this, and what he does, and this is going to be really cool, and we're going to look at this a lot, and you can see it really easy if you read through the whole thing. Uh-oh, should that be an assignment? It's not that long. Um, you got a whole week. Uh, Mark organizes his gospel using the conversion of the 12. 
It's, it's pretty cool. It's, their understanding of Jesus is key. In, in Mark, he chose to write his account from their vantage point. So it's kind of the, it's a fly on the wall gospel. It's the idea you're kind of there watching these guys figure out who this guy is. With emphasis on you know, evangelism. How do, how do we, what are they going to do? So he's going to step, we're going to go step by step from seeing Jesus as teacher or rabbi and then prophet and the Messiah or Christ, son of David, son of God, and eventually it even looks like God. But it takes him some time. It takes him some time to understand who he is. And the other one is the response to Jesus or discipleship which we've talked about a little bit today. What do they respond with? Well, John the Baptist starts it. We'll see that in just a second. Repentance. Well, what, what do I do after that? You know, repentance is turning, changing your mind. It's not just saying you're sorry, although that may be included. Uh, it's a life change is what this is supposed to be. And then faith, trusting. Y you have that trust. So, you, you, so there's, there's a conversion idea. Lives are changed. That's what we're going to see. Now, Really what Mark is trying to tell us, and we have to be so careful with this, especially because all of us, I, I think, you know, I could, I've talked to many of you and, and, and hope to get to talk more about your, your, your faith story. It's always kind of nice to know. Think about this. If somebody asked you, what was it or when was it? I don't really don't care so much about when, but how did you come to believe in Jesus? I hope you can give a decent answer. And it could be different because we always, it's like, well, I got to remember it was a certain date. I don't know if I have a date on my calendar. I do know kind of the time period because it's hard because when, when I first heard the true gospel in college, it took a little while for the change to fall in the meter for me. You know, for Paul, if you go to Acts 9, you got the Damascus, road to Damascus experience. He's walking along and Jesus appears to him. He gets knocked to the ground. He gets blinded. You think G Paul knew his date? He probably had pretty good ideas within those two or three days I was blind. But that's, that's not very common. What you see, what was for him an experience, for them was a process. You know, and sometimes I think as evangelical, we think, well, we got to get him to decide. It's like, well, let, let, let the Holy Spirit have some fun. Maybe they're not ready yet. I mean, Jesus didn't come on the scene and said, repent, I'm going to die on a cross, let's do it tomorrow, and I'll ascend and we'll get it all done one day done, because that's got to get her done. He took time. Sometimes it takes people time. It's okay. God's still in charge. We don't want to get in the way of the Holy Spirit. And what good does it do to say, hey, you need to pray this prayer or do this thing or, or get baptized or whatever it is, and now you're in, when they're not, they don't even really know who he is. I don't think that's good. I think that's, that's us saving them. Well, let me tell you a very, very important theological doctrine. You can't. Only the Spirit can say. We are, we, by the privilege we get to be a part of that. It's God's plan. So a process. It takes them a while to figure this out. And you're going to see in Mark that Jesus is somewhat a little bit perturbed with these guys. And we will be too. We're going to step back and say, what is wrong with these guys? Then you wonder, what if I was there? Well, I would certainly believe quicker than they would, right? Yeah, you've it, 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 got to be careful. So what Jesus' pattern is in Mark is 
miracles, training, teaching, challenging. Almost every time it's that way. And what you, so discipleship here is not shown here as an unending experience of supernatural power. I know that theology is out there. It's not even in the Bible. That if you believe that you're just going to get supernatural power all the rest of the time. Peter must have forgot that when he got crucified upside down. He must have, boy, if I could have just tapped into the power. Or Paul must have forgot that when he's in jail all the time. Or even worse, maybe Jesus forgot it. If he'd have just been more faithful, he wouldn't have had to go to the cross. Now that, my friends, is heresy. That goes directly against. So be careful that that's not what this is shown. The supernatural part to reveal it's it's life changing, but it's supposed to be an allegiance and an obedience to Jesus. That happens in the we're going to see it in Mark. We see it on the cross. He saved others. Save yourself. Show us a trick. Even Herod asked him to show a trick. You know, I want to see this. And so how does this work in, in Mark? You've got in Acts 26, this is, this is ironically, Paul, this is the third time in Acts that we get this rendition of what happened to Paul on the road to Damascus. And this is what Jesus told Paul. He's, he's reiterating this in a court, but he says, Jesus says, I'm going to send you to open their eyes, insight. Open their eyes. Did everybody that heard Jesus say, you know, I'm on board? I think this sounds really good. It probably wouldn't have killed him if everybody agreed. But there's an insight. There's something changes in him. We can call it spiritual infusion, you can call it born again, whatever you want to call it, something happens, there's an insight that they may turn from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to God. That's, there's a turning. You understand, and then you turn. You call it repentance, whatever you want, but there's a turning. There's a change of life. Then they will receive forgiveness of their sins and be given a place among God's people who are set apart by faith. Transformation. That, that's what this conversion is. Insight, turning, transformation. That's the way Mark does it, and we'll watch through it. So let's begin the journey. We're not going to take very long here. It's a few minutes. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger before your face. Who will prepare your way? The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make his path straight. John appeared baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea and all Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist and ate locusts and wild honey. And he preached, saying, After, he, after me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. So John's introduced quick. You know, you're not going to send any Christmas cards with Mark verses on it. There's no nativity here. Nothing. You know, this is a gospel, boom, John. Fast, you know, that's where he starts. Baptism in Judaism of the time were for converts, people who weren't Jewish, who became a convert. They went and it's called a mikvah, 
That'd be kind of a moving water thingy deal. And they, they did that. A lot of times it wasn't a river. Sometimes it was these certain baths. And it was a way of, it was same thing. You're, you're being cleansed you're, of your sins because you're following the one true God, Yahweh. But the difference, and we had that in the children's sermon, John asks everybody, not just Gentiles. And they did not like that. I kind of like the John guy in The Chosen, if you were watching that. He's just, you can tell he's on fire, and he, this guy is. Uh, he wasn't trying to influence people and win friends. In fact, he was actually quite bad at that. Uh, we don't g get this in here as much. In John, you get it in other Gospels. He, you call somebody a brood of vipers, you don't usually win friends. Um, but he was asked, he, he, why is he a preparer of Jesus? Because Jesus comes on the, and you, you all need me. This flies into the face of that two covenantal theology that's still out there and preached in certain churches that the Gentiles need Jesus and the Jews just go to the old covenant. You don't have to study the gospel, just read it and you'll, you'll poo poo that. It's just silly. It's, we're never told that. So he tells them to repent, to, to turn back to God, your mind and your soul. That's what that means. It's, it's, we, we get that into just saying you're sorry. It, and no, it's, it's changing your life. There's a total commitment. This is the normal prophetic message. You get this in all. That's what all the prophets do. Why does God send a prophet in the Old Testament? Do you remember the prophet that comes and says, you know, you guys are doing a really good job. I just want to come and tell you. Let's eat. That's not what prophets are sent. They're sent because there's a problem. And, and, and I, excuse me, in Jeremiah, Lord, you are searching for honesty. You struck your people, but they pay no attention. You crushed them, but they refused to be corrected. They are determined with faces set like stone. They have refused to repent. And if you remember reading Jeremiah, eventually they just get wiped out and exiled. He was very gracious. In fact, people say, well, why does God so mean in the Old Testament? I know you haven't read it, if you say that. There is no way you can read through the Old Testament and think he's mean. If you read through the Old Testament, the first thing you'll think is, this guy is very patient, this God, because I would have wiped these people out way before that. Very patient. And are we mad that God wants to punish evil? He always offers grace. But that's what John, that's why he's, he's the last prophet, really. I mean, Jesus is probably, but it's the last all-human prophet. So he baptizes with water, which symbolizes repentance, changing. You know, it's the old idea of, of you go down into the water and your old self dies and your new self comes up and the water is, 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 is coming. You know, there's other modes. We don't, as E-Free Church, we don't, worry about that too much. We usually do that way. But there's a need. I, the sprinkling has, you know, that's an Ezekiel 36 thing. And John 3, I mean, do that too. Uh, but the desire is to totally commit and follow God. That's the idea. You know, anybody can get, I mean, we can just get a super soaker and get you all wet, right? It's a heart thing, right? Do you really have faith? So that's what he comes to do. But then he says he's, that this this. Jesus, this person coming, he doesn't even give his name yet, is going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Well, what is that? 
This is a supernatural, this is a transformation. This is a supernatural indwelling that comes to all who repent and believe and trust in Jesus. And we'll look at that a little more next week. I think as we look at this gospel, uh, the idea of repentance is so clear in the early early gospels and, and the good news. That's what we always have to do. And think about it, no matter what way you came into the church, come into the body. I'm not saying E-Free Church building. I'm saying the ecclesia, uh, the, the, the church universe, the people who truly follow, the people who will be invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. You know, How many synonyms can I use in one sermon? If you truly are that person, this is the question you should always ask. And you can ask other people this. Are you a true Christian? And I think one of the things you can say is, when did you realize you were guilty before a holy God? I think that's when it starts. Because if you're not, you don't need to repent. And if somebody's telling you a gospel that you, God loves you and you're a pretty good dude but not good enough and God loves you and you, and you just get wet and then you say, I love God too, and then you follow. No, that's part of the gospel, but that's not really the gospel. Where's the repentance? I mean, John the Baptist didn't come on the scene and say, you know, come and get wet because God loves you. Why would you need a cross for that? I mean, if we're already pretty good, what do we need? What do we need our sins forgiven? There's, you know, think about it. Repentance is the key. That's what the gospel always teaches, and that's what we will look at as we go forward, that Jesus comes because there's a problem. And each person who believes in him has realized that there's a problem. And then you take the grace. And that's what Mark will step us through that. And hopefully as we go through this, you'll get to know Jesus a little bit better. You'll get to see how they deal with it. And hopefully as you go into your this day and the days go on, you'll realize that this is a great gift that we once were lost and now we can be found. Let us pray. Father, we, uh, we certainly thank you for this gospel, uh, for inspiring John Mark to write it, for Peter to maybe even dictate it, but at least give a lot of information. We know that John Mark was not perfect. We know Peter wasn't perfect. Uh, we certainly can quickly know that we aren't either, but uh, your word is. And in this, you made sure by your Holy Spirit that what we have is what we need and we can count on it and we can trust it and certainly can trust the Jesus that it reveals. May we, as we go through this, as even today, may we just focus and fix our eyes on your Son who gives us eternal life for all who believe. May we always be thankful for that. Amen.